gospel service. We're turning our Bibles this morning to the book of Acts in the chapter 12. The book of Acts in the chapter 12. Reading together from the first verse of the chapter. Acts in the chapter 12, beginning at the verse 1, the Word of God says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. That time is a reference to what is recorded for us at the end of chapter 11, a time whenever famine has broken out in the world and there is a great need even for people to avail and to find food to meet their needs. And so aid is being sent to Jerusalem in those days. And there's a concentrated effort to ensure that people are receiving that which they have need of. And so if days that are hard, days in which there are real and present dangers all around. And so this places in its proper context all that we read of in these opening verses of chapter 12. It tells us there, Herod the king, that's Herod Agrippa I, he killed James, verse 2, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel that thought that he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that this that the Lord hath sent this angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there abode. 
ending our reading there at the end of verse 19. And so, indeed, reads the word of the Lord. This is undoubtedly a story that's familiar to many of us as we come to it this morning. A story in which we read of a great deliverance that the Lord brings into the life of Peter. And truly, as we come to the book of Acts, remember these are referred to as being the Acts of the Apostles, but which we rightly refer to as simply being the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was through His power being demonstrated in the lives of these men that indeed many of the things and all of the things that we read of in these chapters occurred. It's because the Spirit of the Lord, the promised Comforter, came and empowered the church, just as Christ said He would, that they knew even the great successes in the gospel being spread and in lives being changed, souls being saved. And the book of Acts, you'll remember, is dominated really by two central uh, characters, Peter on the one hand and then Paul, the apostle Paul, on the other And truly, as we behold all that's occurring in those days, it excites our heart and it reminds us that God is able, abundantly able, to bless the preaching of His Word. But as we come into the life of Peter here in the 12th chapter of this book of Acts, we come at a time whenever he himself is in a great dilemma. He's found there incarcerated in prison. And he who is widely regarded as being a forefigure within the New Testament church of that day is now facing the ultimate sentence of death. Because just the next day after these events are recorded for us, it is the intention of the king to put Peter to death. And so there's a great dilemma. And Peter finds himself in a great fix. But I want you to notice one word that's found in verse 5 because upon this one word, the entire story hinges. Small things accomplish great things. Always remember that. It's the word but. But prayer. You see, this morning we come to consider the great power of prayer. The great power that is to be found even as we pray. And may it excite our hearts, may it encourage our hearts, but also may it convict our hearts. For week after week, as we sit in church, we hear a great stream of steady announcements given out from this platform of all the work that you and I can be involved in. And very often, it's no doubt the case in your life as it is in mine that we rejoice that we're part of a busy church. Do you know there's something greater than a busy church? And that's a praying church. Because you do, do you know the devil has no problem with us being busy? Because busyness so often keeps us from that which really makes a difference. And prayer is what makes a difference. And in all the busyness and worthwhile efforts that we are engaged in as an assembly, and indeed as we look to the future with God's wisdom and guidance, seek to make a difference more and more in the generation in which we live, let us never get so caught up in the busyness that we neglect the most needful thing of all, the place of prayer. And I use this as an exhortation to you to be found in the place of prayer before the service. 
I use it as an exhortation for you to be involved in the place of prayer on a Thursday evening. I use it for, as an exhortation for you to be involved in even seeking out ways that we as a church can do more in prayer together. For it's there we'll know the blessing. And it's there we'll know the victory. Well, let's consider these things this morning and let us see great days of peril. Great days of peril. We've already noted the circumstances in which this chapter is set. There's a wider uh, circumstance to, that prevails within the world. There's a famine that's ongoing. There's a shortage of food. And people are under pressure. And there's concern in people's hearts and minds. And indeed, as they look beyond what's happening, not only in their city and their town, in their country, they behold a bleak landscape that's all around and this is prevalent not only in the believer's life, but it's also prevalent in the lives of everyone who lives in that city, everyone who lives in that country. But nevertheless, as we've read together there at the opening verses of chapter 12, we see that there are very specific problems also within the lives of believers. Why? Because the government of the day have sought to use even their might and their power to move against the preaching of the gospel tells us there that Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so persecution has broken out. Opposition to the gospel is now a real and a very evident thing in the lives of those believers. And seeing that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And th thinking to himself, this has been a good thing. It's won me friends in high places. It's won me support of the people over whom I govern. I'm going to do something more. I'm going to move not just against James, but I'm also now going to move against Peter. And so very evidently, there's concentrated efforts by the enemies of the gospel, by the enemies of Jesus Christ, to come together to put the church and to put the people of the church and to put the message of the church under great pressure in those days. So the believers there are found in days of great peril, great difficulty. But prayer. They didn't rally a protest march. They didn't sign a petition. They didn't go and seek to find a Roman senator who would have a sympathetic ear to what they had to say. They didn't mobilize great gatherings of people where people stood on platforms and heralded forth just how bad things were getting. No, it tells us, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. But prayer. Can you and I not identify some of the same themes evident in our days? We're living in times whenever there's a worldwide problem that we're all facing. There's pressures under which we are all living. There's concerns that are beginning to find even places to rest within our own hearts and our own minds as we consider our own lot, as we consider our own families, as we look to the future. 
But even more specific than that, as we come together as the people of God today, we see real concentrated efforts by government. We see real concentrated efforts by the enemies of the gospel. We, we see real concentrated efforts by those who seek to compromise and dilute the truth of the gospel against the work of God in these days. And ever increasingly, the gospel message and the Christian is being marginalized, being pushed to the very fringes of society. And ever increasingly, we are being put under more and more pressure as we seek to serve God in these days. It's been said of old that desperate days call for desperate prayers. But do you know, as hard as it's getting, and as wicked as our land is getting, and as evident as it has it has been that even the very powers that be are bringing in that which is contrary to God and to His Word, I do not detect the desperate prayers that are needed to overcome such days. As you and I read the Bible and we know that all the signs of the times are all around, and no matter how you view the, the, the end time program of God as it's found in the Word of God and to what your interpretation of that is, I think we all agree that the end of the age is very close. And every single one of us who are gathered in this building this morning have someone outside of Christ have those near and dear to us, those whom we live with, those whom we work with, who do not know the Savior. And we're living in desperate days. But where are those who are praying desperate prayers? Where are those who are touched even with the burdens of life, those who are touched even with the, the truth that those who, who them they love and whom they care for are unsaved? the reality of the lost condition of those who are all around. Where are those who are pleading before the Lord day after day, time after time? Where are the tears whenever it comes to the prayer meeting? Where is the continual praying, setting aside time from everything else to be before the Lord? Where is those desperate prayers for the desperate days in which we live? Have we become so conditioned by the world and by the narrative of this world that we've just come to accept that these things can't be changed? Here's Peter surrounded by 16 soldiers, four on guard at any one time. He's found in the very depths of the prison, which in those days were for the very worst of people, and yet he's only in prison for preaching the gospel. These people, as they are outside of the prison, they know that nobody can rescue them. There's soldiers, there's gates, there's bars, there's chains. Nothing can be done except God does it. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying to the God who does impossible things. They're praying to the God whom as his son was found here on earth, proclaimed, with God, all things are possible. Where's the belief in that today? Where's the men and women who 
are willing today to go before the Lord and by faith claim his promise that the preaching of his word won't return unto him void and that tonight as we launch forth in the gospel we'll see souls saved. Or do we just do these things out of form and tradition? We've spent weeks now deliberating on the tabernacle. That great picture of the access that we have into the presence of God. And it's all been an effort to remind us of the awesome, majestic, unrivaled, but yet sadly to many of us, unknown presence of God. We don't pray to Jesus. We pray to God the Father. And yet so many of us still make the mistake of praying to Jesus. We don't pray because we are in our of ourselves worthy. No, we pray because we are accepted in him. But yet so many of us rush into the presence of God and rush out again. For weeks now, we've been deliberating on that which is our right of access, our right of approach. Why? Because we live in desperate days. Days whenever you and I don't have the solution. Days whenever you and I don't have the ability. Days whenever you and I don't have the wisdom. Days whenever you and I don't have the financial firepower. Days whenever you and I in and of ourselves can do nothing. Great days of pearl. But notice, secondly, great night of prayer. Because it tells us there, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And then look in verse 12, it tells us when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. The church there knew how to respond to the pearl that they were placed in. They knew how to respond to the dilemma that Peter faced. And they knew that their only hope of deliverance, Peter's only hope of deliverance, was if God did something. Now, we've mentioned there desperate days and desperate prayer. Come with me to Luke's Gospel in the chapter 8. Because there's something that's very prevalent in this age in which we live. And we're going to come to it next week with a very specifically themed message connected to it. But we introduced the theme this morning. Why? Because the reality is that whilst many of us know the Lord Jesus Christ and while many of us delight and rejoice in the truth of our salvation, and while many of us avail indeed of 
the access that we have to God and we bring our wants and petitions to us, there is a spirit in this age that prevails. And it is that spirit of unbelief. And what, are we, what is found today are large numbers of unbelieving believers. Because somehow the message has been accepted in hearts and lives of those who are believing people in the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, they've accepted the message that God is not able. That the gospel is limited. That days of blessing are far past in previous generations. That those things just can't be done today. But notice in the verse 40 of this chapter that when a sense of desperation gets a hold of a life, the reality of the only thing that can be done kicks in. It tells us in the verse 40, it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Now pause there and note the first individual who's desperate. The Bible tells us his name is Jairus. The Bible tells us that he's a ruler in the synagogue. And so even coming to the Lord Jesus Christ was out of character and was completely against the overwhelming trend of the day in which he lived especially amongst the people whom he would have been acquainted with. Because remember, it was the rulers of the synagogue who were stirring up the people against Jesus. Remember, it was the rulers of the synagogue who even at this time were beginning to formulate in their hearts and minds the plan that would come about to inevitably see the Son of God lose his life, as it were, in their eyes. But remember, he gave his life but in their plan, they sought to take his life. And so the very fact that this man came to the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of a desperately sick and dying daughter speaks to us of the desperation that this man was in. He recognized and he identified that in his day, that if anything was to be done, that if the tide was to turn in his daughter's life, if her life was to be spared, then he needed to come to the very place where this man Jesus was. And so he laid aside reputation. He laid aside his position. He laid aside his popularity and his fame, and he did what he only knew to be right in that moment, and that was to come Christ. Could it be that the reality that we do not experience the same blessings as generations did previous to us, that we don't see the same evidence of God working in this assembly as people of past generations did, could it be 
It's all because we're not willing to pay the price today. Because there's a price to be paid for following Christ. There's a price to be paid for being used as a vessel through which Christ can work. There's a price to be paid for knowing the atmosphere of heaven here on earth. Could it be that we're not willing to pay that price? Verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee and sayest thou who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Behold, the second individual in desperation. We're given clear indication of that. Why? Because she's had this issue for 12 years. She's been to everyone that she could think of, everyone that she was told of, everyone who could even possibly give her some hope, all to no avail. But as she's found in the midst of that great multitude of people, as she's found in the midst of that great company of people, and as she knows even the desperation of her own condition and the great need that lies within her, she says, if I can but touch, just touch. Not be touched, just touch. Picture in your mind's eye, a great crowd of people. And think for a moment how that that, as that crowd moves from one place to another, there's a great swaying that occurs. There's a great bumping of bodies that constantly happens. But yet through all of that, and yet through all of the bumping and the pushing and the toing and the froing, as Christ makes His way through that crowd and with that crowd, He knows that somebody in desperation touched him. And as he stops and surveys all here around him, he asks the unthinkable question, for there as he's surrounded by people, for as far as the eye can see, he asks, who touched me? Why? Because he knew that a desperate soul had been seeking him. He knew that somebody at a great point of desperation with a great pertinent need had reached out and by simple faith said, if I can just get close enough to put my finger upon him, there's something going to happen. Tell you this morning that that's the same desperation that needs to be found in our lives. And if the Lord Jesus Christ could identify in that moment and in the midst of a great company of people that there was a searching soul, a needy soul, someone whose complete faith and confidence and trust was being placed in him, then can he not from the millions of people upon this face of this earth and from the countless number of believers who are right across this globe, can he not identify in all of our hearts those who are really desperate to know him and to know the resurrection Oh, that you and I might touch him today. 
Because then we would know what it is to prevail. Great days of pearl. Great night of prayer. Great everlasting provision. I was there praying in John Mark's house on the other side of the city. The angel of the Lord comes upon Peter in the prison. Now notice that Peter is not an unbelieving believer. Because despite the fact that he's found in prison, despite the fact that he's surrounded by soldiers, and despite the fact that he, I believe with all of my heart, inevitably knew that the next morning he was about to be killed, the Bible tells us he's fast asleep. Because he knew that God was in control. He knew that the God who had promised to be with him and to prosper even the work of the gospel as it was being shared and declared right around the world in those days. He knew that one with the God is a majority. He knew that greater was he that was in him than he that was in the world. He knew that he served the God who could overcome. So he's asleep. And the angel of the Lord comes and he smote Peter on the side and he says, get up quickly. Notice verse 7, the chains fell off. God delivered him. Whatever's binding you today, God can deliver you from it. Whatever's holding you back from truly serving him and from truly investing your all in his harvest field, he can deliver you. He says, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. Why? Because you're going somewhere. He went out and followed him. Went past the first, he went past the second, and then he came to the great iron gate. That great iron gate just swung on his hinges. And that which was moments ago insurmountable and unachievable, just done. And notice there that immediately that as this was all done, the angel of the Lord departed. Because there's a point in our lives that God has given us all the resources, given us all the wisdom, given us all the ability to do His work. God had done what was required of God to do, and now it was up to Peter to get from the prison and go to John Mark's house. Peter knew how to get there. Peter had the capability to get there. Sometimes we're found in a situation where we're depending on God to do this and this and this whenever he's given us everything that we need already. And what we're really doing is just being idle. Tell me this morning, is there a gift in your life that's not being used? Is there a service for God that you could be doing that you're not putting your hand to? Are you idly sitting by and watching everybody else put their shoulder to the plow, put their back to the wheel, while you're contentedly waiting on God to give you the divine opportunity whenever he's already given you the divine gift? The Bible tells us that when he was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent this angel. Forever. That was an eternal testimony that God was able to do the unthinkable. 
And this story has been preserved for us. Why? Because the one who remember denied Christ as he stood around a fire was now the one who was a great proclaimer of Christ demonstrating his power each and every day. The great power of prayer is seen. Why? Because in days of great perils, there can be nights of great prayer. And from nights of great prayer comes great everlasting provision. I rejoice in being part of a busy church. But I want to be part of a praying church. Not just prayers that are offered, but prayers that are answered. And I want the same for you. I want the same for your children. The same for our young people. I want to be in the midst of a church that's seeing the hand of God work. Not because we're busy, but because we pray. May God bless his word to all of our hearts today. By faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design, in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness to walk by faith and not by sight.